You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Ransomware hits Costa Rican government systems again. A Chinese threat actor deploys the bold move backdoor against unpatched Forta OS. Credential stuffing afflicts PayPal users. T-Mobile discloses a data breach. A cyber attack hits a remote Canadian utility. The Wagner Group sponsors a hackathon. Malek Ben Salem from Accenture describes prompt injection for chatbots. Our guest is Paul Martini from iBoss with insights on zero trust. And the FSB's Gamaradon APT runs a hands-on telegraph phishing campaign against Ukrainian targets. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, January 20th, 2023. Happy Friday, everyone. Good to have you here along with us once again. Costa Rica's Computer Incident Center disclosed this week that it's been subjected to a ransomware attack that encrypted 12 government servers. None of them, the statement said, affected critical systems, and the attack has been contained, that is, confined, to the systems already affected. There's no official general attribution of the attack, nor any word on what strain of ransomware may have been involved. But, as the record by Recorded Future reminds readers, Costa Rica began receiving some hostile and determined attention from Conti last spring, with the gang going so far as to express its determination to bring down the government. That's not an expression of serious political purpose, but more like Conti saying, "'Gosh, I'm telling you, brother, we're mad as heck and we want to get paid.'" Hang tough and get well soon, Costa Rica. A suspected Chinese threat actor is exploiting a recently patched critical flaw in Fortinet's FortaOS SSL VPN, according to researchers at Mandiant. The threat actor began exploiting the vulnerability in October 2022, months before the flaw was disclosed publicly. Fortinet issued an advisory on December 12th, rating the vulnerability as critical noting that the company was aware of an instance where this vulnerability was exploited in the wild. Mandiant says the threat actor targeted a European government entity and managed service provider located in Africa. The researchers discovered a new malware dubbed Bold Move that was developed to exploit this vulnerability. The threat actor appears to be sophisticated and well-funded. Note that there's been a patch for the vulnerability available since last month, and Fortinet users are urged to apply it. 
On January 18th, PayPal said in a security incident notice that unauthorized parties had accessed thousands of user accounts between December 6th and 8th of last year in a credential stuffing attack. Credential stuffing is one method of attack that can be made less likely to succeed by the application of some sound digital hygiene. This credential stuffing attack, Bleeping Computer explains, works by utilizing a bot that attempts various user credentials sourced in other leaks to access accounts on other sites. That is, it's a lazy hacker's way of brute-forcing a credential. So, it follows that those reusing passwords across accounts with shared usernames and emails, or password recycling, would be most likely to fall victim to these attacks. Forbes writes that this incident was reported as of yesterday to have given threat actors access to almost 35,000 PayPal accounts. In a statement to e-commerce bytes, PayPal asserts that no financial information was accessed and that payment systems were not affected. PayPal says they're reaching out to those who may have seen their accounts accessed. It's not clear that PayPal has that much to apologize for, since this seems to be a matter of user headspace and not a security flaw within PayPal itself. Mobile carrier T-Mobile disclosed a data breach yesterday that affects around 37 million postpaid and prepaid customer accounts, Security Week reports. The telecommunications firm said in a Thursday filing with the U.S. SEC that the data breach was the work of a malicious actor abusing an API without authorization. The wireless provider claims that the attack, discovered January 5th, was stopped within a day of discovery and that they had pinpointed the source, Bloomberg reports. The carrier says that there is no evidence showing that any other systems were affected, and also did not appear to affect any sensitive data. Kulik Energy Corporation, QEC for short, in Nunavut, the largest and northernmost territory of Canada, was hit by a cyber attack on Sunday that took down some business systems, the CBC reports. QEC disclosed yesterday that the attack took down the systems at its customer care and administrative offices, The company has enlisted external cybersecurity experts to investigate the scope of the attack and determine which data was accessed. QEC says it will notify anyone whose information was accessed. Premier P.J. Akiagok said in a statement that various territorial and federal agencies are assisting with the recovery and that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are investigating the incident. The attacks didn't affect power plant operations, just business systems, and customers are presently unable to pay their bills via credit card. While it's still unclear whether the attackers accessed customer information, the company says customers should be vigilant just in case. Russia's Wagner Group Private Military Corporation hasn't neglected information technology. The mercenary group sponsored a hackathon last month designed to contribute, the hired guns said, to the development of IT projects to protect the interests of the Russian army. The hackathon offers another example of the ways in which criminals serve as cyber auxiliaries for the Russian organs. The co-founder of the team that placed an honorable third, one Igor Turashev, is wanted by the U.S. FBI for his involvement with, among other things, the Drydex banking malware. Mr. Turashev was indicted in the Western District of Pennsylvania on November 13, 2019. 
The charges he faces, if the U.S. ever gets his hands on him, include conspiracy, conspiracy to commit fraud, wire fraud, bank fraud, and intentional damage to a computer. Mr. Turashev should choose his vacation spots with care. BlackBerry researchers reported yesterday that they'd observed Gamaradon operators running phishing attacks against Ukrainian targets. The fish bait consists of spoofed Ukrainian government or corporate documents. As BlackBerry puts it, the Gamaradon Group's network infrastructure relies on multi-stage telegram accounts for victim profiling and confirmation of geographic location, and then finally leads the victim to the next-stage server for the final payload. This kind of technique to infect target systems is new. The final payload is an information stealer first observed in September of this past year. Gamaradon, also known as Primitive Bear or Actinium, is generally believed to be an FSB operation run out of occupied Crimea. This particular operation seems to be hands-on and not heavily automated. And finally, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that's CISA, has issued an industrial control system advisory affecting Hitachi Energy PCU 400. So read it and heed it, ye captains of industry. It's Friday afternoon. Do you know where your Hitachi ICS is? Coming up after the break, our guest is Paul Martini of iBoss with insights on zero trust. Malek Ben Salam from Accenture describes prompt injection for chatbots. Stick around. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, 
Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Paul Martini is CEO of security firm iBoss, where they recently released a report titled Bolster Your Company Defenses with Zero Trust Edge. I checked in with Paul Martini for insights for companies looking to make the transition to zero trust. First and foremost is choose a framework uh, that is based off a standard uh, or, or create standards. So NIST, uh, they're very well known uh, for not just the risk management framework, the RMF, but they create a lot of different standards. Um, and so by choosing uh, NIST, Bay uh, 100-207, I think what that's going to help with is first, it's, it's vendor agnostic. It's really based off concepts and ideas that can be implemented. But secondly, as you know, regulation comes down, you know, from government to the commercial and enterprise sector, as well as into other sectors as well. Uh, it's going to make sure that you're going to be meeting fundamental re- compliance requirements because ultimately this, we believe this becomes regulation and becomes law. And by doing it in a way that not only reduces risk, but helps you remain compliant is always helpful. So the first is pick a framework um, that you can understand and, and that is tangible and discreet. The second is really understand what it is that you're trying to achieve. I think um, this really shouldn't be about just a term or technology that you know people hear about and think is a great idea. It should be really taking a step back and understanding what what is zero trust and what does that mean and how does it reduce risk. CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, put out a report in 2021, uh, which studied the fundamental root cause of ransomware. They partnered with uh, the FBI, NSA, as well as other governments, the UK and Australia. And what they found was the top three initial infection vectors for ransomware in 2021 uh, was unauthorized access. They were, they were all based off unauthorized access, things like stolen credentials, phishing, or vulnerabilities. But the, the real question really comes down to why is it that when software becomes vulnerable, that it gets, it's accessible. Like, why is it that there's an attacker in Russia that can even access the, the application to begin with? And the reality is because the world looks a lot different today. You know, those applications used to be in a data center or used to be in your office, but now they're SaaS applications, meaning there's a, there's a path to the front door of that application. As soon as it becomes vulnerable, an attacker can take advantage of that vulnerability. And if you look at the number of vulnerabilities coming out on a daily basis from CISA, they just sit there waiting for these vulnerabilities to come out to take advantage of them. So I, I like this um, idea. You know, this is fundamentally about resource access, controlling resource access, using process, uh, people, and technology to basically put a front door in front of all of the critical resources of uh, enterprise zones and ensure that those applications and data remain private at all times. I do also like all of the network requirements, um, the the requirements to support zero trust architecture from Nest, the tenants. They have seven tenants that are required to, to meet a zero trust architecture according to their framework. But looking at those tenants and those network requirements, making sure that you're really checking each of those box, boxes, they have a lot of work to really think about them and the, the impacts of what they mean. But following those, I think will put you in a much better position. 
You all recently uh, released some survey data about Zero Trust. Were there any particular bits of information that you gathered that caught your eye or, or were surprising or unexpected? I think they just reaffirmed what we already were seeing, which is, you know, Zero Trust is is a mainstream type of process and technology that's being implemented across federal governments um, and enterprises. It's top of mind. Um, we think that there's a lot of confusion as well um, that happens when there's something that's new um, and, and coming, you know, newer types of technologies, newer types of processes. Uh, but it also, you know, we, you know, it, we we find that it's not just the government. It's just, it's reaffirming. It's not just the government moving to these models. It's every company and every enterprise and every sector moving to this, to this uh, model, uh, but reaffirmed um, that belief. I'm not sure if you're aware uh, today, um, actually just a few hours ago, um, Okta announced a new breach. Were you, did you see that? Yeah, yeah, it? absolutely. And if, if if you think about if you think about that that particular breach, the new one that just came out, it was source code that was stolen from GitHub. So basically, the Okta source code uh, was stolen. And you just wonder how is it that an attacker gets to the front door of their GitHub repository? Because if you're re- using a zero trust model, the zero trust gatekeeper or checkpoint is the job of that gatekeeper is to make sure that no one except for employees are touching that resource and everybody else is denied by default. So I think this type of technology, when you look at these types of breaches, can, in my opinion and in our opinion, it doesn't just slightly reduce risk. It's the best way combined with all of the other good hygiene that you need to do with, you know, uh, other, other technology and processes, but it's the, it's the best way to get the biggest bang for the buck to reduce risk. And this is why we're seeing with the survey data and with, um, the government that everybody's moving to this model, you know, as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's been my experience that uh, quite often when when bits of technology like this uh, come to the fore, there there are several stages that it goes to. Where you know it first gets announced, people start to understand it, uh, and then quite often the marketing people get a hold of it, and that leads to, I guess, what I would refer to as the eye rolling zone, where you know it gets talked about so much that people kind of put up their defenses about it because they're hearing so much about it. It strikes me that zero trust is is here to stay. We've gotten past that eye-rolling uh, point and, and people are really seeing that uh, this is going to be with us for the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's a catch-22. Um, when technology or processes come out and they're not really spoken about um, or there's not a lot of, you know, vendors jumping onto that type of technology or marketing, the marketers, you know, to your point, talking about it, it might mean that it's either too early or it's not that interesting or that helpful. Mm. But I think that, um, you know, it's a catch 22 because when something is that helpful, then, you know, of course, marketing wants to follow that because they know a lot of transitions going to occur. So you kind of have to get past that, that hurdle. And I do think that, um, you know, we're, there's still a lot of noise, but because of these standards, and this is why I appreciate NIST um, so much is when you start looking at these standards that, that include requirements, um, that show tangible, deployment strategies. Uh, this helps reduce that noise as well as uh, uh, provide, you know, gu- uh, guardrails to prevent uh, people from, you know, jumping off the cliff or, you know, making decisions that are just for the sake of using a term. That's Paul Martini from iBoss. The report is titled Bolster Your Company Defenses with Zero Trust Edge. We'll have a link in today's show notes. The 
there's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to the CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Joining me once again is Malek Ben Salem. She's the Managing Director for Security and Emerging Technology at Accenture. Malek, it is always great to welcome you back to the show. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of uh, stories about chatbots. They've been uh, getting a lot of attention with some of the developments with, with AI related to that. Uh, I know you and your colleagues have been doing some work uh, when it comes to prompt injections and, and chatbots. What can you share with us about that today? Thanks, Dave. So, uh, yeah, we've seen uh, language models and chatbots included uh, gain some popularity recently. And again, just like any other AI models, we've talked before uh, on this show uh, about uh, the um, vulnerabilities of uh, AI and machine learning models in, in particular. But we have not talked about uh, chatbots uh, specifically. And it turns out that chatbots, just like any other machine learning models, are vulnerable to uh, certain types of adversarial attacks. Um, these are known um, as adversarial examples. If you think about, you know, the computer vision systems that have been shown to be vulnerable to changes in, you know, small changes in any in. in Small uh, changes in pixel in a, in an image would completely make an image classifier fault and misrecognize the image just by those few changes in pixels. Um, those types of uh, attacks are also valid and work against chatbots. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of these adversarial examples is, uh, or adversarial attacks, is known as prompt injections. And this is akin to the SQL injections that we know uh, and that we're familiar with, uh, with, uh, you know, other types of applications like web applications. Hmm. So if you think about, uh, let's say, a model that uh, translates languages, you have an API language model with an API uh, that you can call through the API to translate certain language. So you give it your input, your, uh, your prompt is to translate a certain sentence, and then you give it that input that you want to translate, which is, so you have your prompt and you have your input. It turns out that these models are vulnerable to these prompt injections in, in the sense that if you modify your input, you can completely um, make the chatbot do something wrong, such as, you know, share information that it's not supposed to share or tell you how, uh, what, what's the last prompt it has received. So reveal some information that is not supposed to be returned back to the user. Hmm. How are these uh, prompts surfaced? How, how, do, how do we learn about them? Um, so far... It, uh, I think we need to do more work on developing security scanners uh, mm. to um, to detect uh, these types of uh, you know 
bad inputs. And um, unfortunately, the security community is not uh, focused on that. You know, most app scanners that I know of are, are not looking into this issue yet. And I think this is my point here is to raise awareness about these types of attacks and hopefully draw the attention um, both uh, for app scanners and also for the users of the, or, or the the companies using these types of um, chatbots to um, think about uh, these security vulnerabilities. Is this a, a matter of just sort of pounding away on these things and, and throwing everything possible at them to see if any weird stuff gets spit out? Uh, I think that's part of it. Um, and definitely, you know, there are some AI-driven proposals um, that you know, look at um, sanitizing the inputs or sanitizing the prompts to these um, machine to these chatbots. That's one approach. Um, the, there's also another approach about sanitizing the output. If so if something of malicious prompt is detected before the chatbot returns the results to the end user, they can sanitize that or you know maybe ignore to give any response at all. Um, they're not 100% bulletproof. Uh, I think mm-hmm. they, they would be useful, but it's not going to be the full answer. And and we need to really think about how these... We don't even know enough about how these uh, chatbots are, um, you know, can leak information. You know, what are the possible prompts um, that would make them to um, act uh, not as expected? And so we definitely need more research, but we definitely also need to start building or think about building some tools that would help us uh, secure them. All right. That's interesting stuff. Malek Ben Salem, thank you for joining us. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Bridget O'Gorman from Symantec's Threat Hunter team. We're discussing their report, Billbug, state-sponsored actor targets CERT authority and government agencies in multiple Asian countries. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Pearl Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Millie Lardy, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshait, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>